Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for tuning in here on this Monday. It's March 14th. That's hard to believe. Commodity Classic in the rearview mirror. We'll be having conversations about what happened there throughout the week. Later on today, we're going to be hearing from Rob E. President of the Iowa Bean Association. And it's Monday. So Jackie Fatka, Farm Policy Editor at Farm Progress, will be joining us in segment three to give us the DC download. And then at the end of the show, Kurt Blades from AEM will be joining us. We're going to talk about just how tractor sales have been progressing this year. But first, we're going to talk weather. Before we get to weather with John Baranek, I want to welcome some new listeners to the AOA family. We are now carried up in Langdon, North Dakota. KNDK AM 1080 is now carrying uh, Agriculture of America. And folks, we want to welcome you and say thank you so much for tuning in. John, we've got new friends up in North Dakota. Let's talk first about the Northern Plains. What are your expectations for weather in that part of the, the country here this week? Yeah, so this week it's uh, kind of interesting, you know, over the over the fall, you know, we were talking about drought. It was a huge issue with last year's crop year. Uh, over the wintertime, though, they've got some pretty decent precipitation up there. Uh, the drought that has been there has been basically eliminated and snowpack is is above normal. So, uh, you know, we're concerned now with all that and uh, the, the warm temperatures we're expecting this week that we could get a lot of snow melt and some flooding in the Red River Valley up there. So I think that's a big concern going forward for the spring. It is, John. And are the temps going to be warm enough this week to induce that sort of flooding? Or might this be kind of a relief valve? Could we be dumping some moisture into the river to get it out of the way before things really start to thaw? It could be it could be a little of both there. And, you know, if we're doing this in March, we're not planting for, for a while yet. So we can get a little bit out of the, the excess moisture out of there. That'd be a good thing. But I think we're, we're going to be warm enough. We're going to see temperatures in the 40s and perhaps even the 50s later this week where we, we'll get a lot of that uh, snow to melt. But, yeah, we'll, we'll be dealing with uh, some flooding issues at least for uh, for this week. And, you know, we're not really expecting a whole lot of Arctic air coming up in the uh, for the rest of the spring. So, you know. Uh, I think what we're we're looking at is uh, some some snow melt leading to some flooding concerns on that river. All right, and so that's the Red River of the North, John. But then, gosh, we go 300 miles farther west. That drought across Montana, western North Dakota parts of Wyoming is still very much intact. As you look at what could be coming here over the Rockies, any opportunities for rainfall for those folks? Yeah, you're right. Really west of the Missouri River, uh, all the way back to the Rockies, and then all the way south through the Southern Plains. You know, we've seen. Uh, drought just continuing or getting worse, especially in the case of the Southern Plains here over the winter season. Now, as we look at uh, the, the uh, systems moving through the Pacific Northwest here this week, they're going to get plenty of showers there, but you know, all, almost all of that moisture is going to get wrung out in the mountains. We don't see a whole lot of that uh, escaping over the, over across and, and producing much precipitation. We'll see a little bits here and there, lots of sprinkles, some flurries, uh, depending on the temperatures at the time. But you know, we don't have a whole lot of of risk or reward at least of, of showers here for at least the next week oh boy well as we think about showers john springtime is here that severe weather threat is growing we saw that last week across iowa parts of missouri and illinois as you look out this week are there opportunities for severe weather anywhere across the central part of the u.s yeah so actually we do have some sh uh, storm systems moving through the country uh you know i noticed i i made mention how across the north we're not really going to see a whole lot of precipitation out of it but we got at least some precipitation going across uh the southern plains here in, in a couple of batches uh one's kind of moving through today that's not really having a whole big impact but it could have a severe weather impact across the arclitex region here later today and tonight uh down into the lower mississippi valley uh, we'll get another system later this week kind of thursday into friday and that'll have some more um severe weather potential with it, uh, especially across the, the far southern plains and into the, the lower, so actually the southern half of the Mississippi River Valley. And we'll get another one next week, and that one actually has the best chance of producing some more widespread uh, severe weather. Uh, the, the way this thing is setting up for next week, and you know that it's, we're a week away, so things change, but everything's, everything's kind of coming together to, to produce a pretty good severe weather event across uh, the southern U.S. 
Well, okay, Southern U.S. So do you have a rough guideline of where that could impact next week, or are we just holding tight to see what the models show? Yeah, I would say um, it's, it's kind of tough to tell but right now, but it's looking like everywhere south of I-70, so basically through southern Kansas, through southern Missouri, and points southward, we'll have at least a chance for getting some severe weather. And there's potential for that to you know migrate its way farther north as well. Well, you mentioned southern Kansas catching a little bit of that, that system next week. John, is, is this the precipice? Are we starting to maybe see some moisture moving into those southern plains? I think we might, especially, you know, we've, we've got some chances with the, we don't have ones with uh, the system moving through today uh, and tonight in that area. But the one kind of later this week, Thursday, Friday has a chance for at least some precipitation out there and they'll take whatever they can get for sure. Um, not a whole lot, but at least they've got some chances. The one next week I think has the best chance of actually bringing in some decent moisture Our models again, vary on how much to put where and when. So uh there's a lot of more questions than answers in that system, but at least there's a chance for it. Yeah, okay. At least a shot for some rain. I'm sure a lot of folks will be looking skyward with hope. John, we're thinking about planting season. We're looking ahead. Boy, it's getting really close. Can you give us a little extended view? How do you see us shaping up as we have round out March and get into the first part of April? Yeah, so this these next couple of weeks are going to be great in terms of temperatures, uh, mostly above normal across the entire country. We'll still have the precipitation chances there to keep things uh, moist and give chances to people that uh, are, are pretty dry. Um, you know, as we go into April, though, uh, everything's pointing to a big pattern change. Um, now, it's not going to be one that was going to cause a whole lot of concern, but what it does look like is is below normal temperatures for a good portion of April. Um, maybe the, the last three weeks of April would be uh, below normal for most of the country in terms of temperatures. Um, you know, and that just, you know, doesn't allow soils to drain real well those wetter parts of the eastern corn belt all the way down to the gulf coast uh, and it won't uh, warm up soils enough uh, or fast enough to get early planting to be much of a, a thing in april i don't think i think uh, i think we're probably going to be a little bit behind the april in terms of planting uh, if we take it on the whole uh, just because of the the, the temperature uh, situation and precipitation as well um, the eastern corn belt which has been wet we've been seeing system after system just inundate them with with water recently um and we're going to get more of that here through the rest of march and even though it looks like it's going to be cold for april still looks like they have some pretty good shots of getting additional precipitation so colder and wetter doesn't uh doesn't sound like a good time to, to get out in the field and plant no it doesn't john but is that cold wet bias for the late part of spring is that fairly common for a la nina year is this what you were expecting honestly it's been very um surprising only in, in the sense that it doesn't seem to matter if it's el nino or la nina over the past five years every single april has been below normal for uh in terms of temperatures uh for across the majority of the the corn belt so it's been you know it's been really interesting to see kind of how and you know some some of my colleagues have mentioned that you know winter's kind of shifted a month it used to start in november and december now it starts in december and january but instead of ending in March, now it ends in April. So um, it, it seems like we've, we've seen some sort of shift. And it's only been about the last five or six years where this has been the case. But every single one of them has been below normal temperatures in April, which has been kind of amazing. That is. That is something else. It's interesting to see this change. And, John, it's just a reminder that the growers always have to be alert as these things are shifting constantly. John Baranek of DTN Weather, we always appreciate your insight. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. appreciate it. And folks, when we return, Rob Ewalt with the Iowa Soybean Association will be joining us right here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Now a National Ag Day message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Grain member cooperatives. American agriculture is the foundation of our country. It's the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet. Join the Agriculture Council of America in celebrating National Agriculture Day on March 22nd. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? 
Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange. Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen. Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, AOA returns. Thanks for tuning in. You know, one of the great things about Commodity Classic is the ability to just walk around and bump into people who are very knowledgeable about their industry. And I had that opportunity on Saturday, ran into Rob Ewalt. He's the president of the Iowa Soybean Association. Rob, you have been traveling quite a little bit over the past couple months. We're going to talk about that, but I want to talk first and foremost about the conversations that happened down here at Commodity Classic. What were you hearing from growers while you were walking around the trade show floor and at the meetings? Well, I think right now there's there's a optimism here, uh, you know, at the trade show talking to farmers about 2022 crop, and most of the farmers seem to have their their inputs bought last fall already, and and maybe they're thinking that maybe they sold some new crop a little too early. Um, that, but most, and I think everybody's pretty optimistic about this year to come. A little concerned about how dry we are in Iowa right now. Yeah, that's true, and that dryness is is across a lot of places in the country, so that's a concern. But Rob. Obviously, farming, we got to plan many years out into advance. 2022 looks pretty interesting, to say the least. Are there concerns about 23 percolating? I think 23 is where the big question comes in. A little concern that our input prices, we know how fast they can go up, and they're very slow to come down. And and we think uh, myself and a lot of people that I talked to at the show this, this last week were concerned about input staying high and then maybe this some of this demand going away or... or for 23. So 23 is a big question mark. All right. A lot to watch there, Rob. And one of the things we're going to be watching in, in 22 and in 23 is production around the world in soybeans. I know you had the chance a little bit ago to travel down to Brazil. What did you see when you were there? And what have you heard since? Oh, we saw a lot of bean fields. <laughs> some harvested, some not. Uh, some were turning black because of a lot of rain up in the northern and Mato Grosso state. Um, we just a lot of acres. There's a lot of acres down there. That's our main competition, and they're pretty darn good at what they do. Um, we, I just uh, this last week then heard back from 
from a, a friend that I know down in Brazil now, and he said they finished their bean harvest and they came in at 59 bushel the acre, which is a little bit off from last year, but still uh, a pretty good yield. And he said with the prices where they're at, he says that was compensating nicely. So that's where they are. And, and that that Brazilian price situation is fascinating to me. These guys down there, they're they're making pretty good money on these soybeans. Probably going to plant a lot more this next year, Rob. The the way it looks, they're going to be adding acres for the next ten years. Um, so we some of the meetings that we took, they were showing their their projected numbers, and they're taking a taking a lot of the pasture ground that was cleared in the '80s and turning it into crop ground now because they figured out how to feed cattle in feedlots. Hmm. So they don't need as many acres of pasture. So that's what it is. All right, and that's a trend that doesn't stop kind of once it gets going. Rob, Iowa Soybean, of course, is is big on keeping producers educated. And to that end, I, I know you have been at a lot of meetings. You've been talking to farmers across the country. I know you had the chance to go to Mexico recently. GMO issues are cropping up down there. What did you learn when you were in Mexico? I learned that uh, the president of Mexico does not like GMOs. And uh, it's a it's a big thing. It's coming in 2023 that he says no more GMOs or or uh, will be allowed in to feed their their population. And you know, reality is I don't know how that happens without them paying a lot more for their food. And and those people down there can't afford it. So it's going to be an interesting year to figure out if if the U.S. can persuade you know our number two trade partner to to come around to allowing GMOs to be at least fed to livestock, you know. Right, and the current discussion is it's a it's a ban on any any GMO crops in this next year. That's the way I was I was told um, a lot of the the places that we went, the soybean crushers, the the uh, some of the farm we were down with the um, IEDA, the Iowa Economic Development Authority with the state of Iowa and uh, we had Secretary Mike Nag with us leading the delegation and so we took some pretty high level meetings and we and and that was their number one concern and and they really don't even those people say we cannot do this we cannot feed the people in our country without using GMOs so they realize it it's just they need to get the president to realize it what can we do to help? I mean, how can how can American farmers do any good to help help teach this administration about GMOs? We need to we need to put some pressure on in D.C. to get some the uh, some trade people in positions. Right now, there are some empty seats for egg trade, and we need to get those filled. We need to talk to our senators and make sure we get the right people in there to talk trade and and to help educate. Um, the, the the people in Mexico and say, hey, you know, this is a USMCA issue. It could turn into that. And and so we need to, it, it would be better to nip it in the bud if we could. So that's what, that's what we're trying to do at ISA is to go out to DC and talk to some of these, some of our elected officials and say, hey, this is kind of a big deal. We need to get after it. Yeah. And when you go out and talk to those elected officials, Rob, I know ISA in 2021 had a big year. You folks added 1,100 farmer members to the team. When you're out in D.C. talking to folks in Congress, that number of members helps catch their ear, doesn't it? Numbers, there's there's a lot to numbers. And, and yes, it, it helps us a lot when we tell them how many, how many soybean farmers are in Iowa. Um, you know, another thing that that ISA has a great reputation of having knowledgeable staff and a lot of a lot of information to back up the policies that are that they're trying to move forward. So so we try to be a tool for those politicians to call on and and when they need some background information and and we're very highly regarded there both both in DC and in, in Des Moines. Yeah. Well, as you think about those issues that these these legislators in DC or Des Moines or at state capitals across the country are watching, Rob, what are some of the ones you're excited about here in 2023? Anything happening on the legislative front that's you're optimistic about? I'm very I'm very optimistic about what we're seeing with renewable diesel from a soybean standpoint uh, and sustainable aviation fuel. I think I think this is a, a big game changer. When I came back from Brazil and looking at what our competition was doing and feeling not not the giddiest about <laughs> about that, um, hate to use that word on the radio, but. That that was that was the feeling, you know. You, it, but the bright side was our demand is going to be domestic. It looks like in the near future with SAF. So we need to we need to support policies 
you know, the, to encourage liquid fuels. Um, and, and, and I think that's where we're headed in the next year is to really push the liquid fuels and, and we'll see where we come out. Well, and I know ISA has been making some real headroads in Iowa on the biofuel access bill, uh, drumming up support, making sure the, the consumers out there know. Have you heard, does it sound like that's gonna make its way to the finish line in the state of Iowa? You know, Mike, I've been out of the state so darn much. Uh, this is week number, uh, I've been gone eight weeks out of the 10 since the first of the year. So I, I'm really out of the loop right now on, on where that stands. I, th I Last I remember it was in the Senate. I don't know, I think it's still sitting there and, and hopefully we can move it across. You know, there was some good, good legislation in there to help protect biodiesel. Uh, which is a very important industry in the state of Iowa, and we were trying to protect that and, and give them that same advantage that maybe the, the renewable diesel and SAF have out and on the West Coast. So that was that's the big thing that soy is trying to push through. Yeah, no, that is really neat to see, and that that renewable diesel, biodiesel, the ability to, to get liquid fuels out there is going to be crucial because I, I just don't know that batteries can carry a tractor or a truck you know, all the places they need to go. Rob, you work in this world. I, what do you think? The thing is, the, the, the renewable diesel's here. It's something that we can use. The, and when, but we're, as far as renewable diesel, it's getting unfairly scored on this carbon credit um, because they're, they're saying that electric vehicles just come out of nowhere. They, they don't take into account the mining of the the metals that are needed for these batteries, they're not taking into account the manufacture of the batteries or how you dispose of the batteries at the end of the life cycle. And that's something that we really at ISA need to push forward if we're gonna talk liquid fuels. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a game changer and we need to keep pushing forward and, and uh, it's gonna keep the Iowa farmer profitable. This it really will, and and uh, and I'm all in on it. In fact, I even asked the uh, the the staff at the association to print up shirts that say "I grow jet fuel." Ask me how, and because I think that's a great way to get the conversation started and to educate those in Iowa about how important agriculture is in 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 our state. Absolutely. I grow jet fuel. That's Rob Ewalt, president of the Iowa Soybean Association. Rob, thank you so much for talking to us and, and keep telling the story of soybeans out there in the world to keep this demand up. We appreciate it. Will do, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka will join us after the break. And then we're going to talk with Kurt Blades in segment four about the newest numbers released for tractor sales in February. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, wheat and corn are under a bit of pressure here in the early go on Monday with presumed better chances for progress on peace talks between the Ukraine and Russia today. Soybeans and meal higher, as we saw Argentina, they halted exports of soy oil and soy meal over the weekend as they prepare to raise taxes on the products. Now, these suspensions of exports to raise taxes 
generally last for 24 to 48 hours, so it is expected that movement will resume soon, albeit at higher net prices. That tends to further lift global prices, yet the market's largely unable to sustain last night's initial gains. U.S. bases strengthened above Brazilian bids again late last week following a contra-seasonal surge of export demand. The markets are generally pausing to reassess whether prices have reached high enough levels to appropriately ration demand of the major commodities, although they face more challenges ahead if weather further threatens output in Brazil's safrina growing season and or in the U.S. production cycle. As such, volatility is likely going to remain with us for some time. Now, the war in Ukraine shares the headlines with the Federal Reserve this week, adding a bit more intrigue to market activity as the Fed begins two days of meetings to discuss the prospect of tightening its monetary policy. A few numbers on the board right now. May corn, that's down 11 at a quarter, 7.51 at a quarter. May soybeans up one at three quarters, 16.77 at three quarters. May bean meal up 11.90 a ton, 4.89. May bean oil down 168 points, 74.35. May Chicago wheat down nine and a quarter, 1097 at a quarter. May Kansas City wheat down one at three quarters at 1087 and a half. May spring wheat Minneapolis up six at three quarters at 1077. April live cattle up 117, 138.47. March feeders up 197, 155.25. Hogs are moderately lower. Crude oil down 724 a barrel, 102.09. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. You know, we heard Robbie Walt there talking about the the various legislative issues that are confronting the agricultural industry, and there are many of them. To help us break them down, Jackie Fatka, the policy editor from Farm Progress, joins me this segment. And Jackie, we had a government funding bill pass in, I believe, record time last week. Can you give us the details? What happened in D.C.? Record time. I mean, I guess we are six months late. Maybe that's record time. I mean, we did finally get something to finish out the rest of the calendar fiscal year, I should say, uh, for for our funding. So a lot of money lumped into into that. But, um, you know, the big thing for the ag folks that might find this interesting, and we've talked a lot about this, is the cattle contract library pilot program was included in that spending package. And a lot of folks were... um, there's been some support from cattle groups on having some extra reporting of what kind of marketing arrangements are happening out in the countryside. Now, uh, there are some concerns about that, too, on, on how that will be implemented, but it's a pilot program, so hopefully they can get some insight. And it was also uh, the livestock mandatory reporting, which had been included in some of these omnibus um, extensions that we've seen here in the last couple of months. That also was included for another for the rest of the fiscal year. So we picked the can a little bit longer. Um, I guess we don't have that hovering over us of a government shutdown, which at the end of the day is, is probably better for everyone. Yeah, it adds a little bit of certainty. And Jackie, let's just hit the details here. This funding bill has passed both the House and the Senate. Has President Biden put his signature on it quite yet? I believe so, because I think uh, I did not see for sure, but I, I think he did because it was actually um, 
I believe today's the 14th. So I, I, if he hasn't, he he will soon. I know sometimes those are a little delayed, but by the fact that it passed both chambers, I think that's a very good sign. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna be vetoing vetoing this one for sure. Okay, so if that's the case, and we've got the funding for both LMR and the Cattle Contract Library, how long do your folks in D.C. expect it to take to get these programs? Obviously, LMR is up and running, but the library, do we have a guess on timeline for when this could be up, when producers could start using it and uploading their data? You know, no, I and I think it'll take a bit of time. Um, you know, we do have the, the hog market has a similar type of contract program. Um, you know, this is something that you know the north american meat institute which is a lot of your processing facilities and those operations who actually are are offering those marketing arrangements to producers have had some concerns about this because they've said that um you know we're not they they are a little concerned on how this pilot program was written in a way that actually doesn't require a comment period um and and doesn't allow as much input from those who will be impacted by this so in some ways that might mean that it'll get out there quicker but on the flip side um you know does that create a situation where maybe there's some problems with it this is only a pilot program so i think they're just trying to learn and see what they could do with a cattle contract library um, but it would require the beef packers to report some private business information to the government that will then be published and so there's some concerns about that um, you know, private versus government of that that data. So, you know, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, any, anything um, for sure on how fast things move, but I think there is some consensus that this is a good thing from at least the cattle sector. And so hopefully um, they can write this in a way and get it out implemented quickly here, maybe here in the next couple of months. Indeed. And Jack, you know, it's incredible how vital the care feeding of these bills are, of course, setting those deadlines, getting all of those things in place. You know, one program that we've had in agriculture for some time is CRP. I know there have been some calls here over this past week as commodity markets have been volatile after the Russia-Ukraine situation to adjust CRP science here. Do you have an update? Who is calling for this? And have anything has anything been committed yet? Yeah, so Senator John Bozeman, who's a ranking member on the Senate Ag side, wrote a letter to Vilsack last week. And actually, I was in the same room as Secretary Vilsack, as well as Undersecretary Robert Bonney, and asked both of them. I didn't ask uh, Secretary Vilsack, but both of them have said that's probably not something that they're going to be look at, looking at. I mean, really, with the CRP acres, those are known as, you know, more sensitive acres. So even if you brought some of those acres in, it probably is not going to give you a big production boost. And on the flip side of that as well, you know, one of the corn grower leaders made a great point. Do we see the CRP, the Conservation Reserve Program, as a set-aside for production, or do we see it as a conservation program? And I think a lot of people actually see it as a conservation program. It's not necessarily known as maybe it was when it first started, as maybe setting aside some of the land out of production, but now we really see it as conservation and being able to take those highly erodible lands and taking it out. Now, any producer can choose if the market points them to, to take their CRP acres out. So there's still the ability to, to make that. Now, kind of a tweak within the CRP, there's some concerns on rental rates out west that I've heard from especially wheat producers. And so on a, on a delay, on a sign up, there may be some extension maybe for those folks out west who are concerned with some of those rate rates. Okay, Jackie, you mentioned there at Commodity Classic, you had the chance to hear Secretary Vilsack. Did he outline or announce anything new while he was in uh, New Orleans? Yeah, so another kind of a few updates that he gave there to the producers. Obviously, he has been hearing a lot of concerns about fertilizer prices, high input costs. And so one of the things that he unveiled was actually a uh, the first step and and how they might utilize $250 million for grants for the fertilizer industry and also doing some additional research on seed patents and some of the things that are going on on the input side that may be disadvantaging producers. And so right now, it's not that he is going to be uh, doling out that money uh, for the fertilizer industry, but the the thought is they they are soliciting information on where can we invest 
some grants to help increase domestic production of fertilizer, help with that Made in America, increase supplies domestically so that we're not having to look around the world. Uh, you, you mentioned Ukraine on, on the clip right before here with the markets. Obviously, that is impacting a lot of what is going on. And when it comes to fertilizer, also important with Russia and China in that discussion. And so there is some hope that we could use these grants. And so he announced uh, the basically soliciting information. And another thing, too, uh, that we've talked about here is the, the focus on the climate smart commodities. And there are some also $1 billion total that USDA is having out on that. They've extended their deadline here. So a lot of groups are looking at how they can apply for those pilot programs. And so they've extended that deadline in hopes of getting additional information on those applications. They've had a lot of enthusiasm and support for that $1 billion. And so they've got large and small-scale projects. And so they've extended extended that as well. So those are two, two big things that came out of Secretary Vilsack and also trade. Uh, one, uh, he announced formally that they will be doing four more trade missions this year. Uh, they just had one earlier this year to Dubai. And, you know, after we're coming out of COVID, we're two years out from COVID, right? And it, we need to get out in the market. I think there's a greater emphasis from USDA to make sure that they look beyond just China. We know we can't put all of our eggs in one basket. And so throughout the year, they've got several different trade missions around the world to really build up those other potential growing markets. That is good to hear. It is always good to find more buyers for American products. And one place that has a lot of buyers is Canada. Jackie, we have been back and forth with the Canadian dairy industry, U.S. dairy, Canadian dairy, uh, over the USMCA and the way Canada has been importing milk. I understand there has been an update on this last week. Could you give us some insight? Yeah, so Canada came back. And, you know, a big thing with really how when we when we agreed to USMCA was trying to get the dairy industry in Canada to allow imports of U.S. Uh, dairy products. And so how they've written their regulations, uh, we now have realized are obviously not in good faith of what they agreed to in that agreement. We challenged that in the dispute settlement. And um, Canada came back and, and tried to say, okay, well, we'll tweak it this way. And a lot of the dairy groups are, are uh, crying foul. They say, uh, no, this is dead on arrival. This is not what we are wanting uh, and and making a lot of noise because they're not really actually providing actual market-based allocations with their tariff rate quotas. So I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but we'll just put it this way. Canada is not playing by the rules. They've proposed to continue to not play by the rules. And so the fight goes on. Okay. The fight goes on. Do we know what the next step of this fight is? Are we back to court under USMCA? Uh, so you, this is a dispute settlement, so they've got to agree on a on a on a way for Canada to come into compliance. So uh, the U.S. government's in the process of deciding whether the proposal brings Canada into compliance, and uh, they've the U.S. government has not indicated where their next decision will be on these steps. But obviously, the reaction from the dairy industry. I imagine will influence their their decision making from our side and they're going to try to fight for for additional changes. I would imagine you are right about that. Jackie Fatka, policy editor with Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Always great to talk with you, Mark. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll be talking with Kurt Blades of AEM about tractor sales in the month of February. Stick around. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance. 
care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves, if you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, last week was Commodity Classic, and that event is brought together by five different groups working together.
who makes sure farmers have the information they need. One of those groups is the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Of course, they track all of the steel that goes into making agriculture. Joining us this today is Kurt Blades. He's the Senior Vice President of Industry Sectors and Product Leadership at AEM. And Kurt, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. You bet. Thanks for having me on today. Let's talk first about how tractor sales looked in the month of February. Commodity prices have been high, but of course, so is steel. So those factors all come together. What did the U.S. farmer buy in the month of February, Kurt? Well, as you know, AEM tracks uh, tractor and combine sales. Thus, for the last 30 years, we've been tracking every every month. And uh, our month of February actually showed some nice growth, uh, specifically in tractors. Year-over-year uh, year growth, month-over-month month growth. Uh, in fact, uh, across, all, across all sectors. The big story that we're excited about in the month of February 2022 is that row crop tractors, those 100-plus horsepower tractors, are up 17.5% for the year and uh, as we compare to where they were last year. And, and the month of February, uh, we're up 30% of where we were this time uh, last year in February. That's on top of some really solid numbers in uh, February of the year prior. That is impressive. And with this kind of growth in the industry, you know, Kurt, as I hear all the folks I talk to discussing the supply chain issues, can we meet demand with sales levels at this pace? Well, I mean, I think that there's no question the supply chain issues that are facing our nation and world are real. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, on in spite of activities of the last couple of weeks that are just going to probably make them even a little bit worse. So, you know, I think we're I'm really proud of our industry where we, you know, uh, in spite of the, the very real supply chain issues, uh, we've also been able to uh, to meet some of that growing demand that came about during the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I know probably every one of your listeners has experienced firsthand um, some of those challenges and some of those challenges have, have might even been related to the equipment space. What our members are really trying to do is, is do their best to make sure we understand how seasonal this market is and how you need to uh, have all those rare parts available. I need tractors when you need tractors, you need combines when you need combines. And so we're, we're doing our best uh, working the right loads to, to get that machine in there as, possible, as much as possible. But I think it's also very real to know that uh, there's going to be some, some, uh, some lead time changes uh, different than what we're used to. All right. Now the world does keep changing. Kurt, as you think about those smaller tractors, the utility tractors, that has been a hot segment for some time. Is that starting to cool off or are we still seeing those smaller machines move pretty briskly? You know, they're actually still still going quite well. We're seeing some very nice volume of those 140 horsepower tractors. Year to date in February, we're up 5% uh, and compared to February of last year, we're, we're up 8%. Um, those are big numbers, and not just big numbers in percentage, but that's a big number in terms of volume. And you talk about the last 24 months, that is a market that has been absolutely on fire. That's a lot of non-farm. That's a lot of folks that are, you know, maybe uh, had some uh, investment, uh, had some income that they wanted to, to spend somewhere else other than a trip to Europe because they couldn't travel. Uh, so they bought small tractors for the farms. I'd say that market has been fun to look at. And I don't know. I, it seems like at some point that 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 needs going to get satisfied, but you get another month where you continue to have these these markets show up strong. Uh, makes me think that this is here to stay for a while. Okay. Well, Kurt, I know you talk to folks in the industry all the time, but of course, coming from Commodity Classic, you just had the chance to be face-to-face -face with so many manufacturers in the ag space. As they were looking ahead to 2023, what are some of the manufacturers' concerns that they wish growers would know? How can we manage this crazy supply chain situation a little better? Well, the, the, the thing that I think everyone will say is, boy, just be patient, please, because nobody... Uh, everybody wants to deliver the products that you're asking for, uh, whether it's a machine company or whether it's a crop protection company. Uh, we all want we all want to, to deliver. So I, I first ask for a little bit of patience and grace. But the other thing I think is really important is for all farmers just to have a have a good plan for their capital equipment upgrades. You know, working closely with your dealer, working closely with the dealer and the manufacturer to to you know kind of get an indication of what what your equipment needs going to look like six months from now but also six years from now, so you can plan ahead. 
tell you, it's it's not a bad thing that we're planning ahead a little build more and having to plan a little bit uh, more on some of this uh, expensive equipment. I just encourage all farmers to do the same thing. We want to do all we can to maximize the uptime. Um, so if you need that more efficient equipment, um, you know, have a plan in place. But also, we want to you know, maximize that uptime. So that also requires having a good relationship with, you know, with the dealer to be able to be sure that those parts are there on time uh, and that, uh, that, that, that the machines are operable when they need to be operable because those windows of planting and harvest are pretty tight. That is the truth. And Kurt, as you think about the manufacturer's labor uh, uh, concerns going forward, are they able to find enough help both at the manufacturer level and, if you're aware, at the dealer level? Well, I, the dealer level and the service technician, I think, is where you know farmers are seeing it firsthand where that labor shortage is. But I, you know, I, I often say I have a thousand members, and every single one of them is hiring, and they're all hiring really good jobs in in rural areas. Um, but there's clearly a labor shortage, and you know we're doing what we can uh, to 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 uh, to fill those jobs. But I think we're also in the middle of a generational uh, change in the labor force, coupled with some some notable changes in how society is viewing work, and maybe even some of that willingness to work some of the longer hours, and uh, that's having an impact. And we'll, we'll work our way through it, but it's requiring manufacturers and dealers and everyone to be just a little bit more creative on how they hire those, uh, how they go about hiring those technicians. All right, and that struggle is probably going to persist. Kurt Blades, thanks for keeping track of the equipment industry, and thanks for sharing your insights with us today. You bet. Thanks so much. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be looking ahead to the Federal Reserve's possibility of raising rates on Wednesday. So do be sure to tune in to AOA tomorrow. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.